Welcome, everybody, to the Boiler Alert Podcast, part of the Fans First Sports Network. I'm your host, Andrew Ledman. And I'm Ryan Bonaparte. And we're with you today. We're going to continue our look at the basketball roster and the football schedule. Today, it is Caleb's first turn to do uh, some off-season homework, and then we will take a look at the upcoming game against Illinois, which adds an extra dimension this year because, of course, uh, new Purdue football head coach Ryan Walters came from Illinois, so it'll be his his game against his former squad, which I'm sure will be mixed emotions for him, but we can get into that in the second half. Um, But Ryan, you told me something before we started recording that was a a follow-up of a question I asked a few weeks back, so I want to talk about it. Uh, I heard you went to see a movie this weekend. That I did. Okay. I which so one, which one? was it? Was it Barbie or was it Oppenheimer? It was not Oppenheimer. <laughs> I went to go see the Barbie movie. Okay, let's hear it. Good, well, bad, indifferent. What was it? It was a good movie. It was a trippy experience. Okay. So, I mean, if whatever you can add neon yellow and pink to, they did. So it was. I was laughing the entire time. I'll I'll give it that. That's good. That's a good endorsement. There's, yeah. There's a lot of stuff that if you bring kids to it, they will not understand. It's some you know. There's some adult humor in it. That's good. That's good. Um, definitely, definitely a good movie. Um, I think Margot Robbie does an astounding job. Ryan Gosling, I. It's hit or miss with him. So, I mean, I think he does a good job. It's just some of the things that the character does just as a nature of being a Ken doll is cringy. Well, yeah, I think that's sort of the point. I had someone tell me today um, who saw the Barbie movie that Ryan Gosling was the best part of the movie in their opinion. So um, it sounds like you don't necessarily agree, but it sounds like he had some good parts. He did. I mean, I think he did very well for what the character was. Right. And so, so I mean, you know, maybe maybe I'll see it uh, in in a week or two. I know my wife wants to see it, so um, mm-hmm. we'll we'll try to find time uh, to to sneak out uh, without a child who is three years old, um, and uh, <laughs> and maybe go see it. I don't think he'd be good company at the movie theater. Um, so that'd be, that'd be a little tough, but. Uh, just to be clear, we are not promoting any movies. We are uh, not part of SAG or SAG-AFTRA. We are not scabs. We are not breaking a picket line. I was just asking a friend about a movie. We are not promoting anything. Go, people on strike. And if you don't like that, you can stop listening to this <laughs> podcast. So there we go. All right. Now, as we said, we're going on uh, continuing our look at the basketball roster. This week is Caleb First's turn. Um, so... Caleb First, to me, is one of the most interesting players on the roster just because he Mm -hmm. finds himself in such a strange position. You know, he's entering his third year in the program, and he still isn't really getting a ton of minutes. Um, He was obviously a highly recruited player out of Fort Wayne, um, and then, you know, he played, let's see, played in 35 games last year, averaged 18 minutes, which was four above what he played his freshman year. Um, But, you know... He looked good out there. He averaged five and a half points, which was an increase from 4.1 the year prior. Um, everything really looked better. Um, rebounds went up, assists went up, blocks went up, steals went up. Um, his free throw percentage went way down from 71 to 59. 
Um, mm-hmm. Three-point percentage went down from 42 to 26, and field goal percentage went down from 57 to 51. So you wonder if that's just a usage situation, um, you know, getting more minutes, you get more shots. Um, I'm not sure. We'd have to go game by game. That'd be a little tough, but um, – he he's just he is so talented, but he's at such a logjam at both the five and the four, um, mm-hmm. and and it puts Matt Painter I think in a difficult position of how to use Caleb first. Agree or disagree? Oh, totally agree. I think essentially this role this season, I'll, despite him starting in twenty one of the thirty five games, he was basically like the backup center. I mean, he was the big man that you would go to outside of Zach Eady, just because I don't think Trey Kaufman Wren was fully ready for that. No. And you had guys who could slide into that more natural four position with Caleb at the five. Yeah. So I think it was just so difficult when you're behind the national player of the year at center, you're not going to get many minutes. His minutes probably could have been a lot higher if Zach didn't get so many, but that's, you put your best player on the court. Right, right. And, and I wonder what is going to happen to him this year, because obviously Zach Eady returning, Zach Eady is going to get as many minutes as Zach Eady can get. Um, You know, once again this year, you don't, as you said, you play your best players. You're not generally going to take, put the national player of the year on the floor less. Um, You know, you want to get everything you can out of them, but with Mason Gillis back at the four, with Trey Kaufman Wren coming back and presumably um, being more comfortable in his second year in the program, being able to play both the four and the five, where does Caleb first fit? I mean, do you think he slots in more to staying at the five, staying at the four? Does he try to play some at the three? I mean, there are a lot of positions that he can play, but it depends on, I think, what Painter puts around him in that moment. And... It's just, it's such a hard position uh, for first to be in because he is incredibly talented. He can do a lot of stuff on the basketball court, but so can so many other guys on this Purdue basketball team. Yeah, and I find it, I'll be interested to see if Zach Eady tries to have a more outside presence or a mid-range presence, if that will allow Caleb first to kind of slide in more towards the basket and get easier shots. Um, so it's kind of like they swap positions in this scenario. Okay. So yeah, I could, could see be that. Interesting to see. Yeah. So I I think for Caleb's sake, I think it's best if he really does do that hybrid three four position where he can be out there with him, Edie, and Gillis all out there, um, or you know even have a rotation there. But it's difficult and. There's not going to be many times where he is the five just because Zach's the five. Zach is clearly the five. Right, um, right. And then anytime Trey Kaufman Wren comes in, he starts uh, bringing in some of those minutes. And then we also have Willie Bird, who's going to come in, and he is a five. He is oh, not yeah. a four. Yeah. So it's, it's a tough position, but, I mean... Clearly, he's going about it the correct way. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen Caleb first complain. He was Buddy the freaking Elf. Right, so. right. One of one of the best you know uses of promotional videos I think I've seen at Purdue, maybe since getting loose with Tommy Loose. Absolutely. So his yeah his demeanor about it is fantastic. He is nothing 
if if nothing else, he is a great team player. But for his sake, I think he'll do better if he tries to get into a more natural 3-4 hybrid. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, especially, obviously, Zachy is going to be taking the bulk of the minutes. Trey Kaufman-Ren, I think he looked a little, you know, like a deer on roller skates at mm-hmm. times last year um, at the 5. But I think he showed really great promise. Um, it didn't always look pretty, but I think he got a lot more results than most of us thought he would um, in those first games uh, that he played. Just because college basketball is hard. You know, no knock on Trey Kaufman-Wren, but college basketball is a tough sport. And when you come in, um, and especially if you're playing down low in the Big Ten, I mean, that is tough for anybody, um, let right. alone a guy playing his first minute. So I-, I was impressed with what he was able to do, and I think that – frees up Caleb first to play more at the four or the three. Um, even if Trey Kaufman Wren is on the floor, um, he would maybe move into that backup center spot. But uh, I think you are right in that Painter will experiment a little bit with who's at the five, who's at the four um, going through it. I-, I was looking at the game log um, for Caleb first, and he really he- he struggled to score the ball at the end of the year. Um if you kind of look back through the month of like February onward, um, he only scored in double figures one time, and that mm-hmm. was against Iowa. He scored 11, um, but he also scored zero points three times and two points th- three more times in that uh, span from February and March. Um, you know, he, he didn't get a ton of minutes in some of those games. I mean, against Rutgers, no points, only had eight minutes. Um, missed both of his field goal attempts. The thing that was, is frustrating to me is obviously that Fairleigh Dickinson game, just everything about it is frustrating. Um, but Caleb first played well, um, but he only got nine minutes. Um, you know, Fairleigh Dickinson was a small, fast team and that is what has given Purdue troubles for years and years and years. And so logic would say to me, put in your guy who may be a little bit smaller and a little bit quicker um, at the five or at the four and see what you can do. Change up your style a little bit because mm-hmm. you, the way that they were playing Edie, you know, they were just swarming him, fouling him, uh, sending four guys at him, and Purdue could not hit a three. So I, I think it would have been worth a shot to give first um, another look. I know we talked about that at the time, but I, I just – I think Purdue can get a lot more out of Caleb first, and I hope that this is the year that he's given that chance. Right. Yeah, and I know you mentioned his final uh, stretch of games. Um, so if you, one other thing that I kind of noticed, his three-point shot disappeared. Yeah. His, um, there, the final stretch of the season, he actually missed his final 10 three-point attempts and um, went two of 17 to end the season. So yeah, I mean, and that's in that 13 games. Out, in 13 yeah. games, he was two of 17. Yeah, so, I mean, you take that away, he's actually 9 of 24 on the season, which is almost 40%. So, I I think to your point that as once your minutes start dwindling, his shot kind of disappeared, and what he had to do to score was actually to get to the basket and get those... Garbage uh, points. Like scrappy, yeah, garbage points and putbacks. Yeah. So... He clearly can do that, but if his shot comes through, it's going to be much better, and with that comes 
obviously the name of the game is getting minutes yeah. to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can look at advanced stats all we want. We can look at anything. But at the end of the day, points are what matters. Um, and if you're not helping your teammates get points, preventing the other team from getting points, or you're putting in points, it, it's it's tough to justify what you're doing. Um, it's so funny that you mention his minutes going down and that maybe causing some of his shot troubles um, because it's almost the exact opposite problem we talked about with um, Lance Jones because mm-hmm. he was expected to carry so much of the load at Southern Illinois, um, take so many shots, carry so many minutes that he might have taken, and again, we you know didn't go game by game here, but uh, probably took some shots that were ill-advised simply because that was the role he had on the team and that might have lowered his percentages, whereas in this instance, Caleb First wasn't out there as much as you know he would have liked to have been, um, as much as he was throughout his high school career. And so at that point, then you start pressing a little bit. You know, you're like, I've got to make the most of these minutes. And so right. if if I have an opportunity, I'm going to take the shot. I'm going to you know maybe take a shot I wouldn't take normally because I think if I do, I can stay on the court. I can prove that I belong out here. I can just press a little bit more, and that'll earn me spot. Uh, that'll earn me a spot in more minutes in the future. And I wonder if that was a situation here with Caleb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a delicate balance. So I think um, I think he can get more minutes, um, especially if he uh, improves that shot a little bit. So it's <laughs> it's almost counterintuitive. You need to improve your shot to get more minutes but you also need to get more minutes to potentially improve your shot yeah so yeah Yeah, it's a it's a really tough situation i do think of all the players on the roster i do think first finds himself in one of the more difficult spots just because of roster construction um and kind of where he fits and the fact that he can play multiple positions obviously helps him but purdue is so established at, at all of those positions that it's just a matter of who can play with whom, you know, and, and how that's going to work. So Painters, I think, got a really tough task um, at the four and the five uh, this year as far as spreading out those minutes. But um, yeah. is there anything about Caleb First on the defensive end um, that you think needs work or needs to be talked about or mentioned, whether good or bad, I suppose? Um, I Not particularly, and again, this comes with he didn't play so much, so we didn't really see him fail that much. Or, you know, if you play more, you're going to be able to nitpick some more stuff. Right. But I do really, his offensive or his defensive rebounding is very encouraging. So that is, that's where I like uh, to see his game has really done well. I think he has a tendency to actually lose his man on defense. Um, so maybe it's just a guy will cut and he's not super pre- or prepared for it or just looking the other way. Who knows what it could be? I would think if we're nitpicking, that's all I can really yeah. think of for him. Yeah. But um, that's about all I have, defensive game. Yeah, I think, um, I think he really improved as a shot blocker. Um, you know, the numbers are not a huge jump, but he, he found himself, I think, altering more shots than he did his freshman year. Um, mm-hmm. And so that is encouraging. And also, to your point, uh, he did, you know, find himself in situations where he would lose his man or get a back cut on him or, or things like that. But, I mean, 
that's going to happen to everybody, and those are always going to be the plays that you remember because it does – it looks so bad um, right. when your guy is suddenly on the other half of the court and you're just standing there looking around. Um, it, it just looks bad. Um, but I do think, like many players on Purdue's team, the defense overall improved greatly last year, um, but more focus on the court and more you know attentiveness to the defense and the little nuances that Painter and staff put in would be a real help for everyone because you know uh, Purdue basketball plays man defense and you really have to rely on every other person on that court to do their job and. If all five players aren't locked in, the team, the offensive team is going to find a hole. They're going to find a way to get in uh, in better position. And so Purdue needs everybody really focusing and locked in on defense. Um, and I think first is capable of that, but it's just it, Purdue plays man-to-man defense, and man-to-man defense is tough. Um, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. It's hard work. And it's not always what gets you the glory and what gets you, um, you know, the highlights and puts you on sports center. So I understand um, that it is incredibly difficult. And I think first is up to the task. It's just a matter of how many minutes he can grind out uh, with this difficult roster. Yeah, for sure. All right, there we go. There is Caleb first. So we are going to go ahead. We're going to take a break, come back and look at Purdue's game against Illinois, the former home of Ryan Walters. And we are back. So as promised, we are looking at Purdue's game in 2023 against the Illinois Fighting Illini. Uh, former defensive coordinator, of course, Ryan Walters, who is now the head coach at Purdue, his first year as head coach. Um, quick look at Illinois from last year. Uh, they mm-hmm. played, uh, Purdue played um, at Illinois on uh, November 12th. Purdue won that game 31-24. to Ultimately, Illinois on the season wound up 8-5. and five. They played in the ReliaQuest Bowl, of course, the, you know, the absolute juggernaut of a bowl game that everyone hopes they land in. Um, they played Mississippi State. They lost that game. Um, so mm-hmm. at the end of the regular season, they were 8-4. and four. And if you look at uh, the standings, they were directly behind Purdue uh, in the Big Ten West. So that game against Illinois was incredibly, incredibly important as to who was going to win that Big Ten West. So um, Purdue really needed that game. It was a tough game, hard-fought game. Purdue came out ahead 31-24. to So obviously we know there have been a lot of changes to the Illinois coaching staff because Purdue took some of them. Um, right. But what else do we know uh, about Illinois that has changed since last year? Brett Bielema obviously still there as the head coach, which uh, – is still just a weird situation to me because it's the second team in conference he has coached, and I cannot remember uh, that happening too too often in college football. Of course, former Wisconsin head coach. Right. Yep. Um, so the Illinois roster has a lot of turnover this season. Uh, coach Bert, Brett, whatever his name yeah, is. Yeah, gosh. Uh, good old Bert. Um, he... You know, he had some good players. And to his credit and to Ryan Walter's credit, a lot of them came on the defensive side of the ball. So I'll kind of go through some of the uh, players that are gone this season that actually went to the NFL. So you have their quarterback, Tommy DeVito, their starting quarterback, their starting running back, Chase Brown, Three defensive secondary starters in Devin Witherspoon, number five overall pick. 
in the NFL draft. Uh, Jartavius Bryant and Sidney Brown, Chase Brown's twin brother. Then you still had six other players sign NFL contracts. So a lot of turnover. That's a uh, that's a good look. Record. That's a good look if yep. you're Illinois. You know, you can say, look at all these guys who got drafted. We've turned this program around. You want to come here and play for us. Yeah, and then your defensive coordinator leaves for right. a yeah. cross-state job. <laughs> yeah, it was good until if he could have kept the staff together, it would have been a lot better. But he can still make the argument, but it's a little less than it would have been. Yeah, and I think you see that right away with Purdue's recruiting is Ryan Walters is taking a lot of this credit, and deservedly so, and he knows that players are going to want to do what these guys at Illinois did. Yeah, you're right. So high-caliber high players on defense are coming, and they're flocking to Ryan Walters' teams. Yeah, but I mean, I, mean, I just, for those that don't remember, you know, opponents' points per game, Illinois allowed only 12.8, which was first in all of college football. Not just the Big yes. Ten, not just the Big Ten West. First out of 131 teams in Division One football. So that is how good they were last year um, on the defensive side of the ball. So go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, 15 touchdowns the entire season. They Rushing and passing combined. So, I mean, I really don't think it's going to be possible to replicate that level of defensive effort i mean this team did better defensively than iowa and at least they had a somewhat reasonable offense right yeah so but again they're losing so much you had chase brown who at one point was in the heisman talks yeah so he's gone he's on the nfl he rushed for over 1600 yards tommy devito he threw for 15 touchdowns, only four interceptions, and completed 70% of his passes. I mean, that's a good quarterback season. So when you think about all this turnover, you're not really sure. And the transfers that they're getting in are not super high profile. Illinois had its first winning season since 2011. Wow. Like, Illinois football has gotten low. And they had a fantastic season but i it's going to be incredibly difficult to replicate i gotta mention the transfers the quarterback that i think they're banking on is going to be luke altmeyer he's coming from old miss he has been at old miss for two seasons and um last season he threw a whopping 17 passes for 125 yards two touchdowns and a pick those are not not uh blockbuster numbers no, no, they are not. That's he's you know he's no uh, Danny DeVito's son Tommy. Right, exactly. So, I mean, it's it, it you know it's talent coming in still. If you're not playing, it's not like you're playing badly. So well, that's true. That's a true. D one quarterback. Yeah, you're still a power five quarterback. So you've obviously got talent. The other quarterback that they brought in in the transfer portal is former Ball State starter John Paddock, who had a full season under his belt last season with Ball State, threw for 2,700 yards, 18 touchdowns, and 14 interceptions. Those were good good until you got to the interception number. Right. So, you know, Illinois, they had a great rushing attack last year with Chase Brown, but 
once you get past Chase Brown, you see who they have left in Reggie Love. Yeah, Reggie Love the he third. Had, yeah, Reggie Love the third. He had 72 rushes last season for 330 yards with two touchdowns. So is he going to, with more playing time, get up to Chase Brown's um, caliber? I doubt it. It's possible, but I, I don't doubt it. So it's going to be... It's going to be a different year for Illinois. You're you're really um, selling me on on this being a down year for <laughs> Illinois, so I'm loving that. Mm-hmm, for sure. And I think, the, so two of their offensive linemen are gone. They returned three starters, which is, you know, reasonable. Um, but their offensive line rushing was fine last season, obviously. Yeah. Passing, they allowed 28 sacks, so... You know, not awful, not great. Where I think that Illinois has issues is the turnovers they forced last year. They forced 36 turnovers last year. Wow. Season. That That is incredible. I, that It really is. It's almost and, hard to wrap your head around. Mm-hmm. So 12 interceptions were with the three three of the guys that got drafted. No, I'm sorry. 17 of their interceptions Oof. went to the NFL draft. Wow. So I don't know if they're going to be able to do that again. And I think that's where you saw the majority of their, hey, we're not allowing touchdowns because we're getting the ball back before someone can score a touchdown. Yeah, no kidding. So it's really it's it's hard to tell because obviously you see teams like your – Alabama's, your Clemson's that reload instantly and go right back to top. Illinois is not Alabama or Clemson. Yeah, yeah that's what, true. Uh, despite Burt being a former SEC quarterback or quarterback coach. Um, yeah, gotta love Arkansas. So, mm-hmm. I. This is a very long-winded way of saying I don't think Illinois is going to be near the level they were last season. Yeah, so. I I, th- I don't think you're going out on too uh, tiny of a branch on that. I think just based on, as you said at the top, who they lost to the draft, the amount mm-hmm. of production those guys had, especially on the defensive side of the ball, y- you have to expect um, a dip. You know, um, Coach Katie always used to say, we don't rebuild, we reload, um, as his mm-hmm. way of saying, you know, we're not going to have down years, we're just going to stay up. But... I think that is so very hard to do consistently in college football because there are so many quality teams at the top that have been consistently good. You know, like like you said, like Alabama, um, you know, uh, I mean, even we hate to say it, but uh, Notre Dame is always up there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a bunch of schools in the SEC. There's always Clemson lurking. And those teams are always going to get the top guys. And so that makes it that much harder for everybody else below them because those teams have been good, um, you know, consistently for a decade um, or multiple decades. And even when they're down, there's a perception that they'll be right back. Whereas with Illinois, as you said, not had a winning season since 2011, it's a lot harder to convince people that your one good year was not a blip and that it's how you're going forward. Um, you know, you can kind of point to what Indiana did a few years back um, when they had their breakout season, and then right after that, just right back down. Um, they just could not mm-hmm. can, could not keep that up. Right, exactly. And 
One thing we haven't really talked about in these segments, just because it's so difficult to really excel as a freshman, is their recruiting classes. Yeah. But that said, Illinois, their class of 22 was ranked 65 overall, and their class of 24 or 23 was ranked 54th overall. Okay, so, so just I mean, about middle of the pack. Yeah, they don't really have any, like, superstar recruits coming in. No four stars, no five stars. Now, obviously, we can't say that a recruit's going to be based on their star rating. But, I mean, you don't have any guys that, like, from day one, you know are going to be a home run hitter. Yeah. And that doesn't help you either. But I think that Purdue, if... Purdue plays up to the potential of especially their offense with their new air raid coming in. I think they get over Illinois pretty easily this season just because it's not going to be the same as last year. And plus this one's at Ross Ames. So like that's helpful. Yeah. Just keep the cannon at home. Yeah. Yeah. We love the cannon tiny as it may be. Um, speaking of the game being at Ross Aid, did you see the updated um, pictures of the renovations? I saw the Saturday update. I have not seen today's. Oh, I haven't. I didn't. I didn't see today's either. I was talking about Saturday, but the the south end zone looks nearly complete. Um, yes, the tunnel looks like it. Looks like they're going to be rushing. I mean, I know they've got about <laughs> six weeks to go. Um, Forty one days as of this recording on Sunday night, but. That looks like they're they're gonna have to be pressing to get that finished, but um, yeah. we've been assured that they'll have it done. But I think it looks really good. Um, the south end zone looks so much better than those high school bleachers they used to have there, and I'm hoping um, that it leads to a pretty good atmosphere for the students. Even though I'm still not a fan with putting them in the south end zone because um, those mm-hmm. are just such historically have been such terrible seats. I mean, maybe they've. Maybe they've given them a better angle or a better view. I don't know what they're doing, but sitting in the end zone in a football game is never uh, your, the ideal situation. Right. Yeah. Um, did you see the uh, railings they put up, though? Oh, yeah, the standing situation. I, mm-hmm. I No-fall railing. I forget what they're called. Um, right. But, yeah, um, just basically to make it easier for people to stand and cheer and to prevent people from falling over, right, from row to right. row. Apparently it's, it's it common. It's common in what in soccer stadiums in Europe. That sounds right, but it also makes it a lot harder to rush the field. Oh, that is true. I never even really thought of that. I w- I wonder if that was part of their thinking. Yeah. Well, if they're rushing the field, it's going to be hard anyway, considering the band's going to be right in front of them. Oh yeah, I forgot. See, I forgot they were moving the band. The band <laughs> has just been all over the place these last few years. Yeah. <laughs> Poor band. Poor band. Um, so anything else about Illinois that really stands out? Um, obviously we know they're a run heavy team. We assume that's probably going to continue, um, this year, um, lot to replace on defense, but I mean, is there any, anything else that stands out to you? I mean, they're losing so much. Right. Well, they have stated that they want to be schematically similar to last season. Well, (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, what what do you want? What, what are they going to say? No, we're going to change everything up entirely from the defense that allowed the fewest points? Right, exactly. So, defensively, it's like, that's a no-brainer. 
Offensively, I'll be interested to see how they do this. It really comes down to how well is their starting quarterback going to do. And these are not like, um, they're not really the dual threat quarterbacks either. I mean, I'm sure every new quarterback coming in can run a little bit, unless your name's Aiden O'Connell. <laughs> um, but some running, but they're not they're not dual threat quarterbacks. So if you're purely a pocket passer, that could change your entire scheme as well. Tommy DeVito was able to rush, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. So, and 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 if if you're coming in and you don't have the element of a, a quarterback who can get out of the pocket, get some yards on the ground. And as you you know you rolled off their stats from the two guys who were brought in, if they don't produce through the air, then you allow the defense to simply you know pin their ears back and come after your backfield, um, and that makes things yeah. just so much harder for your running game. Yeah, we're we're gonna see how much of this load that uh, Reggie Love the third can really take if they have to uh, rely on the rushing game, and it's just. So much talent is gone. It's yeah. insane. Yeah. I will say the receiving room is pretty well untouched. They have they're returning their top three wide receivers or three of their top four. So that that's a positive. But I mean they didn't have really any world beaters on their receiving room except Isaiah Williams. Their number one receiver, 82 receptions, 700 yards, five touchdowns. That's a very good season. Yeah. Um, it's just, is the person throwing the ball going to be able to get you it? That's that's the question. Yeah, yeah. And for those curious like I was, um, I was looking this up as Ryan was talking. Reggie Love III uh, does not appear, uh, based on a quick Google search of mine, does not appear to be related to Reggie Love, uh, the former personal aide to President Barack Obama. Um does not appear to be related. I just figured maybe, you know, if you're Reggie Love the third, maybe you're related to another guy named Reggie Love. Does not appear to be the case, uh, if my quick research is accurate, which would make sense because I think it says Red, Reggie Love was born in like 81 or 80s, in the mid-80s at some point. So it, he would have to have had this child fairly early to have a, uh, a junior. So does not appear to be related. I'm sure I'm not the only one who was thinking that, um, but there you go. Yeah, and kind of to piggyback that, Tommy DeVito, not Danny DeVito's Yes, son, yes, I know. It, it, I mean, you never know. It could be like a twin situation, the movie with right. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, they could be completely opposite looking, but you just never know. Um, genetics scientists can do wonderful things these days. Right, I mean, it, he very well could be his adopted son. There you go. I mean, I listened, this is a true... So I listened to a podcast once with Danny DeVito and his daughter um, as guests. Mm. Apparently his daughter does, like, voiceover work. and oh, okay. And so she was doing the show and convinced him to do it with him as a way to, like, bring more attention to the show. And it was so funny to listen to the two of them talk. Um, I had no idea Danny DeVito even had children. Um but man, it was an interesting interview, and you could tell he really loves his children, but really had no idea what was going on for some of the interview. He's like, "I don't know, my daughter asked me to do it," and you're like, "Well, you're a good father, good for you. I appreciate that." Uh, universally love Danny DeVito. It's true, it's true. Can't go wrong uh, with Danny DeVito. So, uh, Ryan, if there's nothing else, I think that's going to do it for us tonight. All right, all right. I'll have to see Oppenheimer. <laughs> there you go, there you go. Uh, for Ryan and myself, boiler up, hammer down. <laughs>